0: They have planned and are now leading us into a one-world communist government.
2: Welcome, useless eaters, to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. What's up, guys. Glad to be back with you. I have a series of shows I want to do that may not jive with everyone. Uh, I've been wanting to do these shows for a while, and really, it may be upsetting to some people in the quote-unquote truther community, but I want to talk about the lies of Jordan Maxwell, the Zeitgeist movies, the Naked Truth documentary. I want to talk about how some of the things that they've taught and said are outright lies. And so you might agree with some of the things they say, like I agree with some of the things that uh, they say about government and how they work and how it works behind the scenes and the New World Order and some of those things. But you have to look at their overall teachings and you can't just glom on to one researcher or one documentary and think, this is my jam Because everything is nuanced, people are nuanced, institutions are nuanced. You have to look at every fact. You can't just grab it and say, I agree with everything and this is what I'm going to defend. This is the hill I'm going to die on because that is not seeking the truth. So you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to uh, be a conservative or a libertarian. You don't have to be whatever to want to know the truth, right? Right. So even if you are not a Christian, you would want to know if you're being lied to by people like Jordan Maxwell about Christianity. You would want to know if you're being lied to by the Zeitgeist movie or the Naked Truth movie. So that is what I intend to set straight, and I'm going to be taking work from other researchers, from their videos and whatnot, and I'm going to be putting forth their information I'm going to be reading from a guy by the name of Albert McElhenney, who's written a series of books refuting Zeitgeist and Jordan Maxwell in particular. And uh, I think that it'll bring to light some of these lies that are easily debunked. And say with Jordan Maxwell and Zeitgeist, for that matter, they t- they'll take certain words. And just because these certain words sound similar in English, maybe they have a couple of the same letters. They try to equate them. With something from ancient Egypt, you know, which may have been in Greek, it may have been in Hebrew, it may have been in Arabic, other languages, and wouldn't have sounded anything like the English versions of these words, yet they try to say they mean something they don't, or they're equated to, with something that they are not. And so these, once you understand, become really clear that they're just outright lies. And, you know, only lazy researchers would just take them for the truth and not look into them. And also you have to look at, with this Christ mythicism, a lot of the things they say are, they're taken from a Hellenistic point of view. And the age of Hellenism was in the later part of antiquity. And that's when a lot of cultures were melded together. And so that's what's become a lot of the mainstream ancient history for us. But if you look back and you ask Egyptologists and people who are experts in the field, they can tell you that a lot of this stuff is not true in that we're looking at a bunch of cultures that came together and their beliefs kind of got meshed together. But before the Hellenistic period, they had specific beliefs, specific societies, specific belief systems and cultures, customs. So we have to look at all these things to be able to understand what the truth actually is. So I don't want to bore you. I'm going to tell you right now, though, I'm taking uh, excerpts from some of these videos of these other guys and they were recorded at different times, different studios. Some don't sound that great. Some have music in the background. I can't do anything about that, but stick with me guys. I think that you will appreciate this once it's said and done and it'll really open up your eyes to a lot of crap we're seeing in the, conspiracy community. Remember, every community, every movement has charlatans. And we know that Jordan Maxwell is a big fan of Helena Blavatsky. So we need to take that into consideration because I think a lot of these guys that are involved with these documentaries and these works are into theosophy and Freemasonry and the like. So without any further ado,
1: let's go ahead and get into it. Maxwell was also heavily influenced by H. P.
0: Blavatsky and theosophy. Helena Petrovna Blavatsky. Yes, yes, I have all of her works. I think her 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 best work was Isis Unveiled, Part Two, which is uh, theology. Right. Science. And uh, that was an exceptional uh, work. I think that Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, the Russian mystic, was a very wise and perceptive lady.
2: And there you have Jordan Maxwell declaring his love and admiration for Helena Blavatsky's works, saying he has all of her books, but his favorite happens to be I See's Unveiled Volume 2, the one which mentions and has the character, the Lord Jordanus Maximus. Here I'll read the piece from it. There are three trinities in the Nazarene system, as well as in the Hindu philosophy, the third is Lord Jordanus Maximus, the water of life. He is the one through whom alone we can be saved, and thus he answers to the Holy Ghost, the feminine principle, and to the Shekinah, or the veil, or the spiritual garment of Einsof. Well, obviously, that's where he got his name. I've heard people try to make excuses for him, saying, well, one of the cities he used to live in has two crossing streets, one Jordan and the other Maxwell, but obviously he is a follower of theosophy and he pushes the philosophy of theosophy as well as the Zeitgeist movie and as well as Michael Tessarian and David Icke and some of these other guys.
0: <clears throat> Christos in Greek means oil. That's why you have Pillsbury cooking oil called Crisco. Crisco is Christo, Christo is Christ. So Jesus Christ is Jesus the oil. I mean, that's what it means, Jesus oil.
3: The Greek word Christos comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach, which is where we get the term Messiah. It means the anointed, not the oil. The difference is that anoint is a verb and oil is a noun. It would be like me saying the English word covered means with chocolate, because sometimes things that are covered are covered with chocolate. Maxwell seems to know this because he goes on to tell us the wrong definition of anointed as well. But it does seem to serve his purpose to make this definition now because he wants to paint the picture of Jesus being covered in sexual fluid.
0: You know what the word anointed means in Hebrew? I don't want to get into that right now. (coughs) Basically, anointing comes from the word sex.
3: In no way is this true. The word anoint... Neither in Greek, nor English, nor Hebrew comes from any root having anything to do with sex. Again, in Hebrew, the word for anoint is Mashiach, from which we get the term Messiah. It essentially is a verb meaning to apply, or to smear, anoint, or spread a liquid. Even in the most primitive roots of the word, there cannot be found any connotation to sex whatsoever.
2: Well, there we heard from podcaster, researcher, author, and documentary filmmaker Chris White talking about how ridiculous those comments are on equating Lord with lard. But if you don't know Chris White, he's great, and he's got a podcast called Nowhere to Run, which he mainly focuses on biblical prophecy now. But he's done documentaries debunking Jordan Maxwell, uh, David Icke, Michael Tasarian, it goes on and on, even ancient aliens. I mean, he, this guy has balls and you may not like him because he's a Christian, but he doesn't do things in a cheesy way. He's a very well-researched guy and I don't think anyone could take that away from him. But let's go to another one of these writers, Albert McElhinney, who did a whole series monkeying Jordan Maxwell and Zeitgeist and Jesus mythicism and all that stuff. And this is from his book, which you can get for like two bucks on Amazon. It's called Prophet of Zeitgeist, a critique of Jordan Maxwell and Jesus' mythicism. So he says on here, this is Lord of Lard. One of Jordan Maxwell's strangest etymological inventions came when he discussed the meaning of the word Lord. His description of the etymology of this word is so surreal as to need to be repeated verbatim lest you miss any of the crackpot splendor. They, Christian preachers, never realized the word Lord, L O R D, comes from lard. This is Jordan Maxwell. Lard, and lard is grease. Grease is oil. Oil is Christos, and in the Greek language, Christos is where Pillsbury gets a cooking oil called Crisco. Crisco is Christos, and Christos is Christ. Oil, when it congeals, is called lard, L A R D. Wake up and get alive. <laughs> So, uh McElhaney goes on to say, the above outburst contains so much insanity it is difficult to know where to begin, but I'll try to do so in order of appearance. First of all, the words lord and lard are not etymologically connected. While lord descends from the old English halaford for the master of the house, lard derives from the Latin lardum which had a similar meaning. Grease, from fat, is not the same as oil, which usually derives from plants. Oil is not Christos, either. The latter means anointed and was used as translation of the Hebrew Meshiach in both of the New Testament and the Greek Septuagint translation of the Old Testament. The Pillsbury brand name Crisco refers to crystallized cottonseed oil, which was the major ingredient until later switched to various vegetable oils, Crisco has never been made from lard. It was intended to be a replacement for lard in cooking and has no association with Greek, Christos, or Christ. Elsewhere, Maxwell refers to Jesus as the anointed, but then claims that the word anointed in Hebrew or Mashiach is related to sex. This also is complete nonsense. Basically, everything Maxwell said was wrong. Amazingly, those who followed his amateurish lead never bothered checking any of his facts. About the only thing Maxwell stated that might have some credence is when he told his followers to wake up and get a life. And as I got further into researching this, I realized that it's so easy to just disprove some of these claims of Jordan Maxwell and some of these guys but they know that people want to believe this. And I've said this in the past, when people first start waking up and realizing that we've been lied to a lot about history from the powers that be, then they automatically become nihilistic and they start thinking that every single thing is a lie. Then they glom onto these guys who have this Gnostic kind of, um, you know, kind of mentality. And they they reach out and, and, and like they cannot differentiate the truth from the lie. And so they believe every word these guys say. And you know how it is in our culture. Another thing I talk about is how we're almost kind of uh, brainwashed into believing that everything is black and white from the time we're tiny. You know, we watch the Batman and Joker. We think there's one guy who's all good, one guy who's all evil. And that's how we look at these figures, these authors and these podcasters and these different people, and these politicians especially. And we think that they are Basically, holy and untouchable. And that's how you get so much of this hero worship from people who still believe in the two party system. But we do the same thing with our sports heroes. We do the same thing with our movie, you know, our actors and um, even movies like Star Wars and stuff like that. And we do the same thing with these researchers. And when we're first waking up, we're really susceptible to falling prey to this kind of cultish belief and thinking. But hey, history is nuanced. There's good and bad. People are good and bad. Humans are good and bad. There's good and bad stories. Some men do good things. Some men do evil things. Some are both good at one point, then bad at another point. You have to just, you have to research individual facts. You have to go for individual parts of history You have to go through them, sift through them, and you have to figure out for yourself what's wrong and what's right. And so you can't just be like, oh, that guy said some things that I agree with. He's my superhero and I'm gonna go for him 100%. You know that's exactly what we do.
0: Lucius all mean in Latin light. This is why you have Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker is Lucius walking across the sky and he's doing battle with the Prince of Darkness whose name in the Egyptian was Set, S-E-T, because they noticed it got dark at sunset.
3: Like so many of Jordan Maxwell's word insights, this could only work in modern English. The ancient Egyptians' word for the sun setting sounded nothing like the word Set, as in their god Set, and they never called him the Prince of Darkness either. Maxwell forces the term onset because he needs it to prop up this theory. This is very deceptive, certainly not something you'd want from a teacher. Some have suggested that Maxwell is just telling us what the mystery school believes, not what he believes or what real history is. But he says quite the opposite, and in fact never in this three-hour presentation ever mentions that this is what the mystery schools believe. He says quite plainly, this is real history.
0: All of the Jewish reference books, all the encyclopedia Judica, all of, uh, you go to the synagogue, uh, go up into um, Mulholland Drive, up to the Jewish University and spend three weeks there and look up Saturn. You'll find out that 98% of all Judaism is a worship of the planet Saturn. Better wake up and understand where this stuff comes from.
3: Where this stuff comes from is quite simply Madame Helena Blavatsky where Jordan Maxwell gets his name from, Jordanus Maximus. Maxwell is not presenting any new information here. He is repeating almost verbatim what Blavatsky writes in her book, The Secret Doctrine. Again, this would not be notable if it were true. I've spent the last few days doing as Maxwell suggests in this clip and try to track down any record of what he is saying in history besides Madame Blavatsky. After much study, it appears the root of the idea comes from the Roman historian Tacitus. This is what Tacitus says. Keep in mind, Tacitus worships Saturn, and in other places in this writing, it was obvious that he had been given false information about what the Torah actually said. He says, We are told that the seventh day was set aside for rest because this marked the end of their toils. In course of time, the seductions of idleness made them devote every seventh year to indolence as well. Others say that this is a mark of respect to Saturn, either because they owe the basic principles of their religion to IDI, who, we are told, were expelled in the company of Saturn and became the founders of the Jewish race, or because among the seven stars that rule mankind, the one that describes the highest orbit and exerts the greatest influence is Saturn. A further argument is that most of the heavenly bodies complete their path and revolutions in multiples of seven. Whatever their origins, these observances are sanctioned by their antiquity. The other practices of the Jews are sinister and revolting, and have entrenched themselves by their very wickedness. It should be noted that in Tacitus's writing, it is very anti-Semitic. In addition, as a Roman, Tacitus worshipped Saturn, and while writing to the Roman Emperor, it's very likely that he has, as he did in other places in the writing, forced Roman religion on the Jewish history. I encourage you to read Tacitus' account of the Jewish history because this fact becomes quite obvious and is noted copiously by the many scholars who have reviewed his work. It should be noted that Blavatsky uses this writing of Tacitus to build her theory that Judaism came from Saturn worship in her book, Isis Unveiled, Volume 2, which Jordan Maxwell says in an interview is his favorite book. And this is yet another example of him telling us that true history is Madame Blavatsky's history, despite the lack of any other supportive data.
2: All right, so I wanted to kind of clear up something. I said the wrong title of the book from Albert McElhenney, the subtitle anyway. It's called Prophet of Zeitgeist, a critique of the Jesus mythicism of Jordan Maxwell, a Christian response to Jesus mythicism, book Seven. So, and I've got another book of his, it's called This is the Sun, Zeitgeist and Religion, Volume 1, Comparative Religions by Albert McElhenney. That's a really thick book, but uh, anyway, so that was more from Chris White on the BS of Jordan Maxwell. But let's look again at McElhenney from that book that I just mentioned, Prophet of Zeitgeist. This is Section 2-2, The Cult of Saturn, and if you're interested in in this information, Definitely get this book. I hate to tell anybody to go to Amazon, but I think it's the only place you can get it. Two bucks, $1.99. I mean, it's great. Anyway, he says, The Cult of Saturn. Jordan Maxwell repeatedly makes the point of identifying the worship of the God of Israel with the worship of the planet Saturn. In this claim, he is following the lead of occultist Madame Blavatsky. And there is little doubt she is the source for his claims. A major problem with Blavatsky's interpretation is that she builds upon descriptions of Judaism that were conjectures by Greco-Roman authors who often projected their own ideas on other cultures during the Hellenistic era. Thus, they might speculate that the seventh-day Sabbath was a tribute to Saturn, even though the Jews have practiced the Sabbath long before the Roman calendar existed. The distortions and complete misinterpretations one finds of other cultures in the writings of such authors as Tacitus and Plutarch are usually taken as a warning sign not to place too much stock in their descriptions, but Blavatsky saw it as a starting point from which to extend her own even more wild speculations. Building upon Blavatsky's comments, Jordan Maxwell identifies Saturn not only with its Greek equivalent, Kronos, but also with the Ugaritic deity El, to give this supposed cult a far more ancient lineage. He also claims such customs as wedding rings were linked to the cult of Saturn and signified Saturn's rings. However, there is no real evidence for any such connections. And let's continue McElhenney's words on Saturn and El and all this whole subject. He says this confusion may arise from the use of El for later pagan gods in the region of Syria and Israel. The name El was used not only for a deity in Ugaritic texts, but in just about every other Semitic language. In fact, El was not just the name of a specific god, but also a generic term for a deity. Even when used as the name for a specific god, the role of El changed with time and place. After the conquests of Alexander the Great and the Hellenization of the region, it was natural to equate El, the father of numerous Semitic pantheons, with Kronos, the father of the Olympians, and then link El with the planet associated with Kronos, which was Saturn. However, such an association occurs in the Hellenistic era long after the period under discussion by Maxwell. Hence, the entire idea is anachronistic from the start. The other problem is the same name refers to different deities in different places. If we cannot equate even pagan gods named El with each other, the identification with that of monotheistic Israel is even more strained. Just because two figures in texts are called God does not mean they are interchangeable. While each of the people in the region may have used variants of El as a God to equate them over time and place is an amateurish error. Even worse is the attempt to link the custom of wedding rings to the cult of Saturn. Saturn's rings are not visible with the naked eye, and they were first viewed by the astronomer Galileo in 1611. Thus, they could not have any possible connection to the ancient worship of the planet Saturn. Maxwell even goes as far as to link words elder, elite, and elect to the supposed L, or Saturn. In reality, elder derives from the Old English Eldra and elite and elect from the Latin elegere or elegere. None of the words have any etymological connection to the Semitic el. As far as anyone can tell, Maxwell simply made it up. Thus, the entire idea of Judaism being related to the worship of Saturn falls flat on its face. Saturn played no role in the religion of Israel, and the attempts to link the two are completely ridiculous. And this is another place where we have to use our brains and really think about things in in situations. And if you consult biblical text, you know that it says that when they were in the desert the Israelites turned to pagan deities for a spell and they mention or it mentions the star god Rimphan and Moloch. And so uh, people have equated Rimphan with saturn which has some credibility to it but you have to realize that that wasn't true judaism and so you also have to remember that there is a difference between judaism and then the type of judaism that practices kabbalah and there's different sects of judaism just like christianity so one has to make the distinction when talking about these things and especially going back into time into history to understand what all's going on here
0: The uh, Ark, the box itself, represented the female, uh, the female, the ability to give life.
3: Jordan Maxwell is quite matter-of-factly telling us that the real meaning of the Jewish Ark of the Covenant is not what the Jewish people wrote about extensively, but instead what Helena Blavatsky said in her book, The Secret Doctrine. Some scholars suggest that the entire Bible is about what the Ark of the Covenant represents but all parties do agree that, according to the Hebrews, it did not represent the female ability to give life. This version is only found in Freemasonry. and It is also very suspicious why Maxwell continually tells us that true history is the mystery school history.
0: And so the priest would drop blood in front of the Ark, representing the menstrual cycle of the female
3: this is really funny if you think about it jordan maxwell is secretly using helena blavatsky's version of judaism as his source to discredit judaism to say that's a biased source would be an understatement modern blavatsky's writings were said to influence hitler and therefore the nazi regime So to have this anti-Jewish rhetoric being said to be true history is concerning, and it should be a red flag to the truth movement, in my
0: opinion. Because it had again to do with sex.
3: If you don't believe me, listen to Jordan Maxwell blame all the world's problems on Judaism.
0: Judaism today is the most eclectic religion on the face of the earth. Virtually nothing of what it teaches is true. virtually nothing of what of its um, of its supposedly background is true Solomon's temple we're told about king solomon's temple incidentally there was no king solomon so don't look for king solomon in history because there was no king solomon
3: i didn't take maxwell's advice on this one and i did look and i found the san francisco chronicle article from 2003 where this Harvard professor is quoted as saying, we don't need to rely anymore on the Bible or Shoshank's inscriptions at Karnak to establish that Solomon and his kingdom really existed, because we now have the superb evidence of the
0: radiocarbon dates. That's the word sol-om-on. S-O-L is the sun in Latin. In Latin, the word sun is S-O-L, sol And then the Hindu, the Hindu priest of the sun, they call the sun Om.
3: Actually, the Hindus do not call the sun Om. And the symbol and word Om have no connotation to the sun directly that I can find whatsoever.
0: Remember the priest of Om? They chant Om. And On is the city of the sun. The Greeks call it Heliopolis. It's called Heliopolis to this day. But the Egyptians, Helios, Heliopolis means the city of the sun. The city of the sun, Heliopolis in Greek was originally called in the Egyptian On.
3: Keep in mind, he wants us to go to the Egyptian on that last one. I think on the first one he wants us to go to Latin. The second one is Hindu, but it doesn't really matter because he's lying there anyway. But the important part here is that the Hebrew people never even used the word Solomon; they used the word Shlomo. And the word Solomon comes from the Latin or Greek. So this could only work at a much later date. And I'm okay with that being something the mystery schools do because they do seem to want to merge Judaism with sun worship. But Maxwell never seems to suggest that. He's always suggesting that it is the true history and that Solomon never existed, which is odd because it falls in line with the, what the mystery schools want us to believe and what they believe. Look it
0: up in any dictionary, O-N. That's why when you walk into a room, you flip a switch on. Okay, let's
3: just see if you can wrap your head around this stupidity here. What he is suggesting is that the Egyptian word for on, which has connotations to the sun, is why the English came up with the word on. Before the electric light was even invented, people were getting on their horses or... Um, whatever so to say that the word on was invented anticipating or electric light or to say that when they were trying to decide what to call the thing you would do to flip a switch of the new electric light the Mason's stepped in and said we shall call it
0: on it's just ridiculously stupid because on was a city of the Sun in Egypt So the three words for the sun in the three esoteric languages of the world is Sol Om and On. Solomon.
2: Again, there's more from the great Chris White. And so again, I will consult McElhenney. Now there's other researchers and people who've done work on this, which I will link in my show notes and I may mention. This will probably end up being two or three different episodes because there's so much to it. But I'll go back to McElhenney. This is his section under Solomon. He says Jordan Maxwell claims the name Solomon is the joining of three terms related to the sun. The Roman Saul, the Hindu Om, and the Egyptian On. He also points to Saul as the name for the sun. Om is what the Hindu priests called the sun and On as the Egyptian name for the city the Greeks called Heliopolis, city of the sun. He then adds the latter is why when you're in a room you turn the switch on. His conclusion is that Solomon is Um, Saul-om-on. While Maxwell is correct on Saul being the Roman name for the sun, and on on being the Egyptian name for Heliopolis, the Hindu term om is not related to the sun. The idea that the English word on is related to the name of the Egyptian city is ridiculous, and he gives no supporting evidence. There is, however, a bigger problem with the theory. The name Solomon was not the name of the famous king, but instead a Greek transliteration. The Hebrew name was Shlomo, which sounds nothing like the three words Maxwell joined. So next we're going to listen to Maxwell try and say that the Solomon's temple is just really a representation of sex, and it's it represents the female and the male genitalia coming together, which may be what the Freemasons have put together to make it be like of course they have the egyptian obelisk which is a representation of a penis and that's what you see in washington dc the first thing you see the number one monument of the united states well it's a big old penis so i don't know i mean that doesn't bode well for us really but uh it's a perversion of these things and and they, the, the the mystery schools and Freemasonry and Theosophy and these different ones, especially the OTO and different ones like that, really have a perverse kind of idea of certain things. And they will equate anything they can with sex. And as I've noticed reading uh, Manley P. Hall, which if you really get into it and you study Maxwell, you realize that not only is he a huge Blavati fan, But he's also a huge Manly P. Hall fan, and he claims that he knew Hall, and Hall gave him all of his memoirs and his works when he passed away, which no one has proved that whatsoever. There's no proof that they even knew each other, but obviously he's a big fan. And what Maxwell does, and what the Zeitgeist movie did, and what a lot of these other guys do, I mean, there's this other guy, this young guy, that is going around to all the podcasts, and he is... You know, he's written some books on this, and basically he's taken Manly P. Hall's ideas of Christianity and Maxwell's ideas and Blavatsky's ideas, and he's kind of put his own spin on things. And so he's going around and saying that, uh, you know, the Bible is just astro-theology. That's what it is. And any reference to a goat or a lion or any other animal that is in the uh, House of the Zodiac well, that's a, that's a reference to astrotheology. That's a reference to the house of the Zodiac or whichever house it might be. And so he basically is the same thing, really, when you get to reading Manley P. Hall. And he's a great philosopher, great writer. Don't get me wrong. But he I have his books. I have several of his books. And I have the one where he tells you how to understand your Bible. So you read it. And he's saying that every story in the Bible... Is is not real, of course. It's just an allegory. So this is what it actually means, and he'll break it down. And so basically, when you start to get into his works, what he's basically saying is, none of the stories are real. This is all allegories. And then you know he's the same type of guy that tells you you can come back and be reincarnated, and you know he's the same type of guy when you really push it. He tells you that, well, you know, we're dualistic, so nothing really matters. And oh, by the way, there's no such thing as a reality. So, you know, when people start to get into this stuff, no wonder they become so flaky and take dualism and all this crap to extremes, because humans take things to the extremes many times, often. So they start believing that nothing is real. And if you start believing that, well, there's no such thing as reality, so, you know, this is not even real, then what does anything even really matter? So I think that's worth pointing out, because it really goes along with these type of thought processes. It's kind of like... Anytime somebody, you know, tells you a story about something that happened to them and then you're like, oh, okay," you go to your room and you get a pad of paper down and you say, oh, that wasn't real. What they just told me was referencing dot, dot, dot. And this is a learning experience, so I can just translate it as to meaning something else. And that's a lot of what Freemasonry has done. You take the allegories and stuff, and you know they've adopted some of the allegories from Judaism. Some are adopted from Egyptian times, and some are just coming from God knows where. But they've taken the liberties to draw all these connections to different things, and they'll have certain words or certain terms, and they'll say these have multiple meanings. And so it's pretty easy. If one is fairly smart, you can sit down and take any word or anything anyone says and draw all these imaginary connections to it and make it mean things that it never meant before. This is not really hard. You just have to have an imagination. And we're kind of living in a world where that's been done to us many times. So I think it's it's good to point out that these occult people and these occult writers and people like that, they've made up a lot of crap. And even you know, going back to Freemasonry and Albert Pike talking about how I think he said there was something like 8,000 different uh, degrees at one time, and they were drawing all these conclusions and all these different uh, connections. They weren't real. And so that's why he redid all the degrees or whatever. So this is what they do, and you have to understand how they operate. And also I'd point out, too, that when you're talking about the Zodiac, and you're talking about astrotheology, we have to remember that the Chinese Zodiac and the American Indian Zodiac didn't even have the same animals as the other one. So you have to realize that a lot of the animals in the Bible were animals that were from that region. So, of course, they would mention a lot of these animals because that's the animals that were around at the time. It would be like me mentioning deer and rabbits and bears because deers, rabbits and bears live in this area. There's hawks. you know, you have to, you know, it, this stuff can get so out of hand and get so ridiculous. But again, if you don't know anything about these subjects and you don't know anything about history and you and you get caught up in the emotions of it all because you kind of want to believe there's something because we all want to belong to something. We all want to be a part of something. We all want to be able to kind of rest our uh, hearts and minds and souls on certain things, belief systems or whatever, that we really jump onto these things without thinking clearly through it. And so it allows us to be easily fooled by these charlatans and these people who want to write books to make a buck and make a big name for themselves when all they're really doing is copying people from the past and drawing all these conclusions that are not really even there. But anyway, that's where we're at in this
0: freaking world. Look at the the ground plan for Solomon's Temple. Here's what it really is. You'll see the male phallic and it's within the female. So the whole temple of Solomon, the holy is is the male phallic and the most holy is the head of the penis and it goes into the female which is called the temple of Solomon, the temple of life. And consequently Solomon's temple was merely a representation of the sect act.
3: This is a little complicated, but Maxwell is telling you what Blavatsky believes and he's also telling you what Albert Pike believes and just about every mason believes about the temple They regard it as very very symbolic and very important The main problem is is that the Hebrew people wrote more extensively about it and much more ancient and detailed writings about the temple and their descriptions and reasoning for symbolism is vastly different than the modern writings of Blavatsky and Albert Pike but this doesn't stop Maxwell from telling you which one is real and which one isn't. It's actually a symbol of Hiram Abiff, who the Masons believe to be a master Mason. And they actually don't really believe it's, he was real either. They see him as a symbol of Osiris and the Osiris cycle of death and resurrecting. It is this tradition that is played out in skull and bones of the laying in the coffin and being reborn. That's why George Bush can say that he is born again when people ask him if he's a Christian. It all goes back to the ancient mystery schools of Egypt, and the initiates, all initiates would lay into the sarcophagus of the Great
0: Pyramid of Giza to be reborn into the mystery school tradition. If you've never been in the Great Pyramid of Giza, I will tell you it's an extraordinary experience. I laid in the King's sarcophagus and was blessed in a ritual by a Chemite priest.
2: There you heard from Chris White once again on Maxwell and his silly claims. And so one thing I'm noticing, a lot of these guys do not really do deep research on some of the things that they put out there. And a lot of this stuff can be easily refuted. And if they would just spend 20 or 30 minutes on these subjects that they're proclaiming, they would know the differences, and wouldn't make fools of themselves. But they know that their intended audience or their base that's going to be listening to most of this stuff is not going to question it. They don't know anything about history, ancient history especially. And guys like Jordan, who goes on these different uh, talk shows, these different podcasts and radio shows, and I realize he's up there in age now and, and you know probably won't be around much longer. He's a real mouth breather. They really laud him and praise him because he gives them some gravitas because he's been around so long. And, and I'll go back to saying that he's not wrong about everything, but many of these things are easily disproven. And it's just ridiculous that more people haven't called him out on it over the years. So I just thought it was time to kind of look at this work once again, look at Chris's work, look at Albert McElhenney's work. There's some other documentaries that have been done that I'm going to include in my show notes. But anyway, I just wanted to give you uh, another example. So uh, the young guy that I talked about has been doing this kind of astrotheology type of work, and he's going on all the talk shows and stuff. I don't have anything personal against the guy, but I just think that this is how easily disproven some of these things are. I listened to like 10 or 15 minutes of a show he was on the other day, because I want to know what these guys think, you know, the more I learn about this astrotheology, the more I can learn to refute it, and if there are some things that I think are real, then I'll point those out. He briefly mentioned the changes in the Zodiac over time, and he said that instead of having the crab for cancer, it used to be the scarab or dung beetle. Now I have posted some stuff about that on my Instagram in the past, just kind of enlightening people a little bit on that symbology. But I thought I would look into that Saint Augustine quote. Well, I couldn't find it anywhere. I did several search engines couldn't find it, but I was about to give up, and I found this one article, and it says that that quote was actually a claim by occultist Gerald Massey, who was one of the sources for information in the zeitgeist movies. So it says, Gerald Massey claims that St. Augustine once said, my own good beetle, not so much because he is only begotten, not because he, the author of himself, has taken on the form of mortals, but because he has rolled himself in our filth and chooses to be born from this filth itself. Hey, it's a great quote, but I don't know that St. Augustine actually even said that. You got to remember, Gerald Massey was not only a practicing Druid, but he was the chief of the most ancient order of Druids from 1880 to 1906. He was an outspoken socialist and a self-proclaimed Egyptologist. And what you got to remember is this was in the 19th century, and many of his claims have been refuted over time. And people don't want to acknowledge that these guys from the past were wrong about certain things because the things they were saying go along with what they are trying to portray. So who cares if they have been refuted by numerous educated scholars? And, you know, I know that there can be conspiracies and there can be twists and propaganda and different ties in academia. But you're talking about a lot of guys who are probably secular scholars who would probably be glad if these type of things were true as far as astrotheology goes, so they could say that there was no Jesus and there was no this or no that, but they can't do it. They just can't do it because there's too much information. There's too much evidence, and we're talking about archaeological evidence, all kinds of different things that we found over the years that refute some of the things that were claimed in the past, and so You know, Chris White points out as well as McElhenney and others that, you know, the the zeitgeist movie and Acharya S, some of their, not just Maxwell, but some of their other sources like Massey have been refuted long ago. It's just the way it is.
0: Manly Palmer Hall, one of my uh, very good friends. Manly Palma Hall, one of my uh,
1: very good friends. This main authority behind zeitgeist and proponent of the new age, Jordan Maxwell, believes he was put here by aliens to start his own religion. He is also one of Acharya's sources for the Christ conspiracy.
0: Two white glowing objects came in very slow. They were not flying as such. They appeared to be just electronically or magnetically floating. And as they floated overhead, five more came in behind them. And at that point, I totally went uh, ballistic. I decided to rent a convertible and drive back up to Area 51 by myself, and no one knew this, and go back out to where we had had this experience by myself, which I did. About a month later, now we're at the beginning of summer, I get a phone call from Paul, my, my publisher who lives in Escondido, right down by San Diego, and he's, he's telling me about this young lady who is a past life regressionist, and he said, you've got to go see this girl, she's sensational, and she says, well, and I'm just telling you what she said, she said, um, they are Pleiadians, and they have brought you here to do something. And uh, you are ultimately going to be a um, emissary was the word, an emissary for them. They're going to channel through you. They're going to use you and they will speak through you. They radiated a fear off of them. You could feel it. You're in the presence of something awesome, fearful. And I grew up from about the age of seven or eight having other world experiences. All of my life I have been involved in other world experiences um, for whatever reason. And I have experienced many things as a teenager and as a child and uh, even in adult years that were just startling things. I got sat on the back hood with my feet in the back seat And I said to them, I said, look, and I know you're here, okay? And I want you to know that I don't mind doing whatever it is I'm supposed to do. If I've got a destiny in life or a mission or whatever it is, uh, I don't mind doing it. But if it has something to do with you, then I'm going to ask you for two favors. Do not abduct me because I don't want to go anywhere. And don't frighten me in my bedroom. I don't want to wake up and find something in my bedroom I can't handle, okay? So don't mess with me, and don't scare me to death, and I don't want to go anywhere. But if I'm supposed to do something, if there's a divine plan of some sort where I'm supposed to play, then open the doors, show me what I am to do, and leave me alone. And I thanked them, and I got back in the car and drove back, and uh, that was it. H. P. Blavatsky,
1: another source cited by Zeitgeist and Acharya S., was an occultist and mystic. She is the author of The Secret Doctrine and the founder of The Theosophical Society, a blend of Eastern religion, occult speculation, and Gnostic interpretation of Christianity. In the words of J. H. Russell, part of its teachings are, All life is being fundamentally one with the life of the supreme existence. The Pasadena, California Office of the Theosophy Society explains, A primary idea is the essential oneness of all beings. Life is everywhere throughout the cosmos because all originates from the same unknowable divine source. These ideas are repeated in the Zeitgeist Movement. The Zeitgeist Movement, in fact, is the activist arm of the Venus Project. The solution to the faltering global economy offered by Zeitgeist Addendum is the Venus Project. Venus, also known as the Morning Star, is also synonymous with Lucifer. In the Secret Doctrine Blavatsky wrote, Lucifer is divine and terrestrial light, the Holy Ghost and Satan at one and the same time. She also wrote, And now it stands proven that Satan, or the Red Fiery Dragon, the Lord of Phosphorus, and Lucifer, or Light Bearer, is in us. It is our mind, our redeemer, our intelligent liberator and savior from pure animalism. Just as Zeitgeist and Acharya S. cite much of their material from H.P. Blavatsky, the Nazi movement was also founded on Theosophy and Blavatsky's writing. Blavatsky's book The Secret Doctrine, which is cited by Acharya S. in the film Zeitgeist, was known to be an inspiration to Adolf Hitler, specifically towards his ideas about superior and inferior races. In section 3 of Blavatsky's book The Key of Theosophy, she wrote of the three objects of theosophy. One, to form the nucleus of a universal brotherhood of humanity without distinction of race, color, or creed. Two, to promote the study of Aryan and other scriptures of the world's religion and sciences. She also writes, The Theosophical Society is not, then, a political organization? Certainly not. It is international in the highest sense in that its members comprise men and women of all races, creeds, and forms of thought, who work together for one object, the improvement of humanity. But as a society, it takes absolutely no part in any national or party politics. Notice the similarity in the objects of the Zeitgeist Movement, stated by Peter Joseph. The Zeitgeist Movement is not a political movement. It does not recognize divisionary notions such as nations, governments, races, religions, creeds, or class. Rather, we see the world as one organism, with the human species as a singular family. What the Venus Project represents and what the Zeitgeist Movement hence condones could be summarized as the application of the scientific method for social concern. Today, the modern New Age revival can be traced back to H. P. Blavatsky and the founding of the Theosophical Society. Blavatsky's prized pupil, Alice Bailey, developed Blavatsky's teachings into an organized system and coined the term, New Age. Bailey taught that humanity must achieve enlightenment by realizing its divinity. Bailey's teachings are kept alive today by the Lucius Trust. The organization was originally called the Lucifer Publishing Company, according to a statement on their website, because Bailey considered Lucifer, the fallen angel, a positive principle as did H.P. Blavatsky, whom they cite as a great teacher. Though Acharya S. is not a practicing theosophist, freemason, or druid like her sources, she does demonstrate loyalty to the New Age movement, which is no different. On page 416 of the Christ Conspiracy, she says, Despite the vilification of the so-called New Age movement, the fact is that we are entering into a new age. The age referred to in the Gospel tale is that of Pisces, and through contrivance and duplicity, coercion and slaughter, the fish god Jesus, the Piscean solar avatar, has indeed been with us. But now it is the close of the age, and his time is over. As Hancock says, we live today in the astrological no-man's land at the end of the age of Pisces, on the threshold of the new age. The Zeitgeist movie opens with a quote from Jordan Maxwell's Inner World of the Occult.
0: The more you begin to investigate what we think we understand, where we came from, what we think we're doing, the more you begin to see we've been lied to.
1: Maxwell was also heavily influenced by H.P. Blavatsky and
0: Theosophy. So each, each year when the waters of the flood would recede, Leaving of course, the fresh minerals and nutrients in the waters which would then cause the food to grow and spring would be a beautiful time in Egypt because of the waters of chaos. They celebrated the coming of the waters of chaos bringing the new life. They call that celebration in Egypt the Arca Noah. Not the Ark of Noah, but Arca Noah. The Ark and Noah celebration was the coming of the great flood that washed away the old world and brought new life, and therefore Egypt was born again.
2: I'm willing to overlook the fact that I can't find any reference anywhere to Ark and Noah except for Jordan's own book, that old-time religion, page
1: 53, where he refuses to provide any documentation there as well. I went to Blavatsky to see if that's who Maxwell is plagiarizing from, and sure enough, she states it in Icy Sun
2: Veiled, Volume 2, page 145, but she doesn't give a single reference either. She's talking in the context of the ancient flood narratives, and all she says is that the Arga represents the moon, or quote, feminine principle, and Noah is the quote, spirit falling into matter, end quote. All this aside, this whole thing is completely ridiculous, considering the Hebrew word for Ark is Tiavah and hatyavah is used throughout the text in question, for example, Genesis 6.14. The word ark was not used in Hebrew, therefore there can
0: be no connection to arka, which probably isn't a word to begin with. One interesting point that we might bring out is that the Hebrews when they were in Egypt were of course subject to the religion of Egypt and at that time Isis, spell I-S-I-S, Isis the female personification of wisdom from whence, of course, we get Mary and the Catholic Church, the mother of God. Isis was the female personification of wisdom spelled, as I said, I-S-I-S. Later on with the coming of Pharaoh Akhenaten or Akhnaten, Pharaoh Akhnaten changed the worship in Egypt from Isis to Amen-Re or Amun-Ra. Of course, this is where we get the term ray, R A R R A Y for sun so ray. So Amun-Ra became the chief deity of Egypt. Now, once the Hebrews left out of Egypt and went north into Palestine, they found a new god there of the Canaanites, a god that is referred to as the Ugaritic god of the uh, Middle East. That god was El, or the planet Saturn. The Hebrews then picked up the worship of the planet Saturn, or El, the Ugaritic god, and combining the Isis worship with the Amun-Re worship, and and lastly with the El, Saturn, or the the god El, they formulate their new land based on the three concepts of god, Isis, Re, El or Ra, Israel, I-S-R-A-E-L. That's a wonderful theory. That sounds great. I mean, it sounds well-planned, and it was
1: articulated nicely, but it's just simply not true. You see, the problem is, Isis is a Greek and Coptic reconstruction of the Egyptian name Usat.
2: Isis was not pronounced Isis in ancient Egypt. Therefore, the name Israel
1: could not have been influenced by the name Isis in antiquity.
2: So I'd like to take the time real quick to add something else to this whole Isis thing. Another claim that uh, Maxwell makes is that the first book of the Bible, Genesis, is related to the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And the Book of the Dead was originally known as the Book of Gen-Isis, because it's spelled like Genesis, right? Well, I want to read what Albert McElhenney says in his book, Prophet of Zeitgeist, uh, a critique of Jordan Maxwell. He says here, this claim is so completely ridiculous it is not really worth the effort to respond to it except for the sake of completeness. First of all, there is absolutely no evidence the Egyptians ever called the Book of the Dead by the title Book of Gen Isis, or called any book at all by that title. Another glaring problem with this theory is obviously to anyone who knows Hebrew, namely the word. Genesis is not Hebrew, so it would be difficult for it to be the Hebrew rendition of anything. The word Genesis is Greek, and the book was given this title in the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament. The Hebrew name for the book is Bereshit, which, as one can see, is far more difficult to make the sound like Isis. Even the name Isis is merely a Greek rendering of the Egyptian name I have tried to locate the prior source for this nonsense, but have been unable to find a single predecessor. As of this time, I can only guess that this was more of the etymological nonsense that Maxwell simply made up. As Maxwell spoke, he held up a book titled Genesis, the first book of Revelations by David Wood. The book makes mistaken assertions concerning Egypt, common among occultists, but it never asserts any connection between the Book of the Dead and Genesis. It merely used the title Genesis as a clever pun. I want to clear up one more thing that Maxwell claims, and this is also from McElhenney's book. He says, in Genesis 1.1, it generally reads, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But Jordan Maxwell claims this is incorrect, as the word Elohim should be translated as gods in its plural form, and so it should read in the beginning, The gods created the heavens and the earth. This is a common mistake among those who know how to use a concordance but have no real familiarity with the original language. The Hebrew word Elohim is indeed in what is normally plural form, But the plural form for certain words can be used for both singular and plural, and this is one of those cases. The way to differentiate, which is intended, is by checking the form of the verb to see whether it takes the singular or the plural form. It turns out the verb for create or bara, takes the third person singular form, and so Elohim should be translated as God and not the gods. Despite his claim to have given the accurate rendering of the Hebrew, Jordan Maxwell is simply wrong. And just to be clear, some of the guys that we're taking excerpts from are Chris White from Nowhere to Run, You can check out his podcast. He does a great biblically-based podcast. He talks about all kinds of fringe Christianity and cool things like that. Uh, Also, Ben Stanhope, Elliot Nesh, and again, Albert McElhenny. And we may quote some stuff from Steve Bancars soon. He uh, was a New Age guru, this young New Age guru teacher who actually decided that that wasn't for him. And so he actually became a Christian and he speaks out against these things and kind of gives people an idea of what's going on with the occult and the new age movement. So anyway, well, I can't believe it's been an hour already. So I've had a lot of fun, man. This is just the beginning. And I hope you guys like this because I'm just starting. I thought it was going to be two shows maybe when I first started doing this. And now it's looking like at least four There's just so much information, and I've got a lot of it already recorded, but I've got some editing to do, quite a bit of editing to do, because I'm really working on like five or six different shows right now, and that's just the way I am. You know, I don't know how to do things the right way, so I end up either doing too little or too much, and so right now I have got a bunch of work to do, but I probably won't do all the astrotheology shows in a row. I'll probably... Mix them up a little bit so it won't get boring. Um, I just dropped two new shows in my pod feed on Podbean today. It's uh, shows from other guys that I was guests on. Uh, One is, of course, a conspiracy or just a coincidence with Jack Allen, my friend Jack. And uh, another young guy named Alex who runs Newsphere, the Newsphere podcast spelled N-O-O-S-P-H-E-R-E. He's also got a Rumble channel that's pretty popular. And then I was on another show with a young man who runs the Ramblings of a Madman podcast. So I was on with the Ramblin' Man, and we had a great conversation. Really smart young guy, and he's on the right track. And so we just kind of talked about why I got into politics and The State of Politics Now, and of course we talked about Trump and Q and a lot of the things that have happened in the last couple of years, so check out that for sure, and uh, check back pretty soon because I hope to drop the second half of the Pilgrim Society podcast this week. Found out a lot of new stuff, and uh, so I know that there's going to be at least three of those shows, or maybe more, but uh, stay tuned for that one. And I thank you guys for your support, as always. Remember my Patreon. That is patreon.com slash theoddmanout. I want to thank my patrons. I want to thank Kyle. I want to thank Aaron. I want to thank David. And again, I want to thank Jack Allen from Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. Please check out his podcast. And with that being said, guys, thank you for your support, as always. Stay safe. Cheers and blessings. And remember... Their order is not our order. See ya.
3: I see the oceans, the mountains, the plains.
0: The rats and the suckers, the strong in the lane.
3: Sometimes I dream about flying.
1: comes up and I stay behind the clouds yes I live